Right, let's take our Bibles and go in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk. And uh, we'll be in chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. And as you're turning there, I just uh, want to say praise the Lord for uh, the response and the invitation last week. Um, the front was, was filled with, uh, with Americans, uh, patriotic Americans, who were praying for their enemies. Just let that sink in just a moment. Last week, the front of this this area here, some churches call it the altar, and that's a place of sacrifice, was was filled with people who were praying, praying for ISIS, praying for the entire Muslim world. And may God continue to do a work in our hearts that people do not understand, cannot explain, other than something has happened to that person that is beyond human ability, God has changed that person's life. It's the only reason in the world why we would pray for those who want to destroy us. So thank you for responding to what the Lord is doing um, in our hearts. So let's go in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 18 through 20. We're going through the book of Habakkuk on Sunday morning. This is part 4. And uh, just read along with me there in verse 18, and then we'll unpack this text. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! And to a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid or covered with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Notice where it turns in verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. What we're going to look at this morning from the Word of God is that simply... Clearly, we always become what we worship. Every single time, we become what we focus upon and what we worship. Two weeks ago, when we looked at verses 5 through 17, we learned that in context of the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, some of you are like, man, I'm, I'm new to church, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Much less understand what it means. Let me just say this word before we really get in deep. Some of the things that seem unusual, archaic, out of the ordinary, strange, out of the Bible, or some of the things that have the most life application in the Bible. Because what we've learned also in this series is the danger of reading the Word of God selfishly, coming to the Bible and saying, i got to find something for me. Maybe it would be a better option since God has created the whole world, right? Maybe He knows more of what we need. And maybe more of what we need is to focus on him and other people as opposed to just get help with, quote unquote, our problems. We still okay? In verse 20, it changes. He says there's a contrast between these dead idols that people create and the living God who we should be silent before. So here's the question. In the book of Habakkuk, what is going on? Well, we know that there are invasions, that the people have nowhere to look except for God. Then Habakkuk says, God, it looks like the righteous are suffering. The people who love you, the few, uh, the, 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 the remnant, 
They're in Jerusalem. They're about to get taken over. And how do you allow this to happen if you're all good and all powerful? And the context is God is saying, I'm going to use unjust nations to punish unjust nations. God's saying, I'm going to allow these people to do what they're going to do, but it's to bring my people to a place of repentance. And in chapter 2, he points out, not only in the Israelites, but in the Babylonians who are invading, that they are living their life trying to gain success by pursuing empty things. Let's just be really real for a minute. The problem with some of us is that we, we are pursuing in our lives, we are pursuing empty things. We are looking at things to satisfy us that could never satisfy You think it could be very possible we have a church filled this morning with a large percentage of idolaters? Franklin County. Now visiting in the county, I've not seen too many statues that people have bowed down and worshipped. As we're going to get into this message, idolatry is not always taking a hammer and a chisel and creating something from a piece of rock. Idolatry is always something that begins in the heart that says, God, you are not enough for me. You hear that? So what happens many times in our culture is that we begin to go to feelings and we say, I feel this way, therefore I'm going to act this way. And may God give us freedom from our emotions. We have a culture that is absolutely saturated and driven by emotions. Some of us will have a bad week and we'll be out of church for three weeks. Some of us, we have a rough time at work, so that justifies in our minds going off on our family when we get home. Some of us have people who treat us unjustly, so in our mind that justifies us treating them unjustly or gossiping about them. We are a culture I think worships the idol, the, the idol of feelings by and large. What makes us feel good? That doesn't even have to do with sex, getting drunk, getting high, going out clubbing, partying on the weekends. That has to do, I want to do whatever makes me feel comfortable. And if we could take a good long look in the mirror and look at our lives, if we're comfortable with our lives, we have on blinders. Any of us that would say, man, I'm good. Like I, my life, I have done so good in my life. I mean, there's real, there's hardly any room for improvement. I mean, when I walk by the mirror, the mirror is like, what you got going on? Like people I don't even know friend me on Facebook. And I'm like, please. Now already you're like, if I knew somebody like that, I would just punch him in the face. Because we hate arrogance. We hate that. But here's the thing that, that I think very easily can cause us to look at places in India to where they're worshiping and bowing down to monkeys and so forth. Like a monkey temple. And you go and the monkeys are accustomed to people bringing food, sacrifices to the monkey. Like you'll get jumped almost by monkeys. Like you show up in school, what happened to you? Went to the monkey temple, bro. Couldn't handle them. We look at that and we're like, that's crazy. I mean, it's a monkey. It's, it's this, it's that, it's a stone statue, it's a carving on a wall. It's a temple made by human hands. It doesn't deserve our worship. Like it's, what do you not get? But many of us, we, in America, we worship the idol of feeling good. That has everything to do with, I have the right to get drunk because I've had a tough time at work. I can space out, say, I don't care, I'm just going to be in my, me in my zone. And it can even have to do with avoiding the hard truths of the Bible. Now let's let's just talk for a minute. Most of us, when we read the Bible, 
And I'm not talking about just opening up and flipping through and trying to get something checked off. But actually open up the Word of God and say, God, would you speak to me? If there's something in my heart, something in my life that needs to be changed, if there's an attitude that needs to be taken away, if there's, some, there's, if there's bitterness, if there's you know, the poison of hate in my heart, if there's, I, God, I want you to just show it to me. And you know what the Lord does most of the time when we just beg Him to speak to us? He does. And most of the time, it's not like, you are awesome. Like, I'm God, I know your heart, and man, your thought life this week, so pure, I want to get some of that. Like, will you teach me? Like, God usually doesn't tell us that. God, God, knowing our heart, he's usually not like, you know what, all that, you just thought about money, 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 all week long. You're just doing so great. Like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm God, I'm scanning your heart and your mind the last month. I can't find Jack. I can't find anything to convict you on, so why don't, why don't you just write another Bible? Maybe we can co-write it. It never turns out that way, does it? For some of us, when we really want God to speak into our lives and we open up the Bible, it's almost like by the time we open it up and we read that first verse, there's a Rocky Balboa punching glove coming. Bam! And sometimes when we come into church and we say, Lord, would you speak to me through the message today? There may be a lyric on the screen, some of the songs that are sung, and I need to hear that. God, would you help me to soak in what I need to soak in? Most of the time, it's things that need to change. But in America, we worship the idol of feeling good. So here's where the rub can come. We look down on the Hindus for worshiping idols, but we just as easily turned a blind eye to the tough things that God is telling us from his word and from godly people of things that need to change. And when you get down to it, it's worshiping something that makes us feel good about what and who we already are. There's a lot of things that we see on Facebook. People just say, well, God says, come as you are, right? God loves me as I am. If that's the case, then God, if God loves us as we are, then he's not going to leave us as we are. You tracking? God wants to change us. So the question is, what is idolatry? What is it exactly? According to Webster's, it is the worship of idols or excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing, and we could add other than God. G.K. Beale said that idol worship is revering Anything other than God. John Piper says, what is an idol? It is the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, and enjoyed more than God. It's almost as if idolatry is to say, God, you are not the ultimate. When I look at the category of awesome things in my life, you're not on the top. And we can answer the question of whether we are idolaters is when something hits the fan in our life, what do we turn to? Because God, if you look at the definition, God has everything to do with the ultimate being above everything. Created everything and the one who can deliver us from whatever it may be. Addictions, bitterness, physical, I mean all of it. God is the one who delivers. So the question is what or whom do we turn to when things hit the fan? So what idolatry is, according to the Bible, is idolatry is inserting disorder into order. For example, for those of you that are pet people, and I love dogs, 
Those of you that are dog people, those of you you're not, please bear with me. Dogs, I mean, if you, they essentially worship the ground you walk on. Cats are like, it's you again. <laughs> now imagine, imagine ladies, your husband comes home from work and you've got, I mean, not even a cool dog or, you know, for those of you who are cat, cat people, a cool cat, if that exists. And, uh, like you come home and I don't know, you've got a gerbil or a hamster or something like that. And that, that's your pet. That's your thing. A little weird, but if you're adults, that's for kids. It'd be really weird to go to an adult's house and they're like, here's my hamster collection. You're like, good seeing you. And you leave because you're be like bodies hidden. And so, so you, you come home and you, you, you come through the door and she says, Hey honey, how are you? And you said, I had a great day at work. And you just like totally bypass her like, Hey, what's up? And then go to the, the pet, the goldfish. Harry or whatever his name, or, or the hamster, or the gerbil, the dog, the cat, the ferret. And you're just like, how are you doing? And like hugging the thing and talking baby voices to it. You're just like, oh, if you missed a daddy, the bad they missed you. <laughs> and your wife is slowly thinking, because this goes on and on and on and on. After about 30 or 40 seconds, she's like, I do have a frying pan. <laughs> and she's going to be like, what? Are you doing like I'm here? I'm your wife. Shouldn't I be the one to receive the utmost of your emotional love and your dedication? Not something that's lower on the scale. That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is inserting order, disorder into order. It's taking who is on the top, God, priority above everything else, and putting him somewhere beneath that. If you're taking notes, write down Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And let me just make a little hashtag right here. If you're new in your walk with Jesus Christ and things have become very difficult, welcome to the Christian life. When you got saved, you entered into the greatest battle that can be fought. Satan will try to tempt you. He'll try to tempt you not to come to church. He'll try to tempt you to close the Bible and open up other things. He'll try to tempt you to give it up and say, just forget it all. But the Bible, New Testament, the Christian life is a war. For those of you that are sheepdogs and warriors, man, that should fire you up. The Christian life is not something to where we dress up in suits and sleep solely in suits And we come and we act here like we don't act the rest of the week. Are y'all all all right? And we put on this big show and all the men, when they come in, they act sissified. Everybody's just weird. And everybody leaves to go do something normal. The Christian life is a gut brawl, gutter war. When you read the New Testament, you find violent terms. Not against people, but notice again, Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here's what all of us should wage war upon. It, it explains. Sexual immorality. Impurity. That's a miscellaneous drawer for perv stuff. No matter what it is. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, meaning anger, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So here's the question. For those of you that have read a little bit in the Bible, you've come across 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul who says this about idols. He says, we know that an idol has no real existence 
and that there is no God but one. So the Apostle Paul says, when you see those idols, it's not real. So the question for us is, why is the Bible so hardcore about warning against idolatry? Think about it. Something's not real, then it's not there to be a danger. And the answer, according to this verse, is because God's wrath, we just said it in church 2015, God's wrath. A lot of times we don't talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable. But again, the Bible tells us that God's wrath, his holy anger, not a bipolar type of instability, not an abusive parent, but his righteous, just anger is coming upon everything that is worshipped except for him. And some people will say, now Jeff, that kind of sounds like a jealous God. Like the Bible does say that God is a jealous God, but it almost sounds like he's insecure and he's a megalomaniac. Like it's all about him. But here's the difference. The reason why it's wrong for us to be all about us is because it's not all about what? Us. But this is a cool thought. If you're God, then everything really is about you. Right? So for us to be like, bro, I'm here. I want everybody to notice me. You know people like that? They walk in and want everything to be about them. It can't be about us because we're not God. But if you're God, then everything must be about you or it's not right. You see, if we have everything about us in our lives, everything's not right because it's not all about us. But if we're God, then we know that, number one, that there's wrath that's coming on uh, idolatry. There's wrath coming upon sexual immorality. There's wrath coming upon those who continue to live in anger and bitterness and hate and evil desire, according to Colossians chapter 3. We know that, but God also knows that joy and fulfillment is only found in Him. And because God loves us, He says, don't go to things that are empty. The illustration we used a couple of weeks ago is when I ate the, the, the dozen Krispy Kreme donuts within a 24-hour period. And how those of you, some of y'all who weren't here, would be like, what a pig. He needs to preach on gluttony. And how those things that when you partake of them, they taste so good and they're just like, oh, it's awesome. But it doesn't bring fulfillment. It brings emptiness. God does not want us to be empty, but he wants us to be filled with his spirit. He wants us to be filled with his joy. And so God's saying, don't go to lesser things. That's the reason why in Habakkuk chapter three, chapter two and verse 18, he says, what profit is it in an idol? So we know from the Bible that an idol or idolatry is a sign of misplaced trust. In Isaiah chapter 40, 44, Isaiah goes on this long speech about how crazy it is the people in that time. Imagine you see somebody walking into the woods with an axe. And they go into the woods and they see these trees and they say, I'm going to select this tree. So they take the axe and they cut the tree down. Then they cut up some of it and use it for firewood. And with that fire, they bake bread. And then with some of the, the tree, they make a wooden idol and they bow down to it and they worship it. And it says in chapter, in verse 17 of Isaiah 44, and the rest of it he makes into a God, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. And it says, they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. 
You see, idolatry always flourishes when there is, and this is so difficult, when there's an unwillingness to wait upon God. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses was on the mountain with God. Imagine if you had been one of those Israelites. You had just seen God, I mean, take out the Egyptian army. Wipe them out. Like Clint Eastwood wipe them out, but times a million. Like let all the bodies hit the floor and then let them them float to the bottom. Sink. You saw all that. And then you're at the base of this mountain. And then Moses is up in the mountain. They're like, I don't know. He's been up there for a long time. And they couldn't wait for it. So what did they do? They went to Mo- they went to Aaron and they said, make a what for us? Make a God. Make gods for us. And so they all cashed in their gold earrings, men and women. And he told Moses, when Moses actually came down, he knew he was in trouble. He said, I just threw it all under the fire and out came this calf. Now, it is awesome to throw a spray paint can into a bonfire outside. Don't ever do that. But if you do, it's awesome. But I don't know of any of us that have ever thrown metal into a fire and then, I mean, something comes out and you're like, wow, it's a brand new Cummings engine. I mean, imagine, imagine Moses coming down from being with God, like him and like he's quiet time, just him and God. And he comes down and his brother tells him that if you're Moses, you'd probably want to take the 10 commandments and hit him. And guess what happened? They made their own gods that justified their own sexual immorality. And in doing that, they said, God, you're not as fast as we think you should be. Y'all tracking with this? You didn't give us the answer in the time that we wanted it. So because you are late, we're going to go to something else. Idolatry always flourishes when there is an unwillingness to wait on God. And as we looked at three weeks ago, waiting on God can be one of the most difficult but yet important things. And some of you are waiting on God to give you an answer on a certain part of your life. And I encourage you, based upon the word of God, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, The righteous and the just shall live by faith. Idolatry also gives us excuses for what the Bible and our conscience call sin. Idolatry is always the attempt to make God into our image. And here's the way that we do that in America today. We say, well, I want to believe in a God of love, but I don't want to believe in a God who would create a place called hell. That's called creating a God with our mind. And it's not the God of the Bible. You see, idolatry is all about control. Have you ever driven with a control freak? I've been called that before when it comes to driving. And maybe the way that you can know that you are is when you're in the passenger seat or the back seat and when you think that the brakes should be pressed, you're doing this. And there's no brake there. But idolatry today and old school thousands of years ago, pagan idolatry is all about control. And here's what you do. You'd go to the temple and you would do the little rites. You would do the little actions that the priest told you to do. And by doing that, it was almost like a slot machine, so to speak. It's like, I do this for this little G God and this pagan God is supposed to respond like this. It's almost like 
paganism and any worship of God outside of the Bible is trying to, please catch this, it's trying to manipulate God to where the Bible tells us that we should love God. And when we try to do things to manipulate God and to make deals with God, it is the farthest thing from a relationship with God. I mean, how would that work out in a friendship or a marriage where we say, okay, here's the way it's going to be. I do this, tit for tat. I do this, you do this. Then you do this, then I do this. If something happens, then we break this contract. People are like, that's not the way that you get friends. That's the way that you lose friends. But we know that we're worshiping a God that we've created with our mind if we're trying to make deals with God instead of come to God. And if he says, you just need to get saved. And we give our lives to Christ. That's the way that we begin a relationship with God. And uh, let's go ahead and and roll this video here. Uh, It's a quick video uh, regarding idolatry that may connect um, with some of us. I was watching TV the other day. And this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols. And they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They they made sacrifices to their idols. But they had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. See, we look at the Old Testament and we see those stories of the golden calf and we see, I would never do that. But the question for us this morning is what is capturing the attention, the devotion of your heart above all else? If it's your job, then you've made an idol out of a gift of God. If it's your family, it's possible to make a God out of that too. For some of us, it's just raw money. For some of us, it's the fear of what other people think about us. Some of us, we just love for people to say nice things about us. We don't care what God says about us as long as we get positive comments from people. And the question is, are we willing to take a look in our heart and ask, what is the most important thing? What do I think about? What captures my thoughts? What keeps me going? And if it's not the glory of God in all things, then we're guilty of idolatry. You say, well, Jeff, I enjoy, I enjoy toys. I enjoy good times. Listen, all those things are given to us as a gift from God so that when you do your recreational activities, you say, man, this is cool, but 
being able to serve the Lord is even greater. When you have a good meal after a hard day's work, you say, this is awesome. But guess what? God is even greater. When you have good time with your family, you say, you know what? This is a gift from God. And being in heaven with God and the spiritual family, everybody who's ever been saved, that's going to be even greater. For some of us, we just like good times and we like music. And that thing shapes us instead of allowing our faith in Christ to shape us. And let's just be honest this morning. A lot of you here this morning have never truly been saved. All over the all over America, even though we have a church that God has blessed and grown, many of you have never truly been born again. Given your life to God, repented of your sin, said, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I can't live the Christian walk. I know that's a big thing with a lot of people today. They say, Jeff, we're reading about idols and those things are silent. They can't do any good. You know, I think I'd screw the whole Christian walk up because I can't do it. That's the point. The point is that we could never do it. We can never be good enough for the beautiful message of Jesus as that he did what we can never do. Do we get that? I mean, he lived a perfect life and he died an excruciating death so that we could be set free. You see, we can never do that. We can never achieve that. But that's the gospel. The gospel is a freeing thing. The gospel doesn't say keep improving. Get better, clean yourself up, straighten up, act right. The gospel says is that all of us are doomed and damned to hell. Every single one of us without hope. Without hope, without hope. It is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's a crazy, terrifying thought. But God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ. He said if you would just turn to Jesus in faith. If you just take your pride and don't swallow it, regurgitate it, set it to the side. And give your life to Christ in humility. He will forgive you of all your sins. He will make you a brand new creation. And he will change your life. You see, that's the gospel. But in America, and especially the South, we worship the feelings of trying to be a good person. And may God destroy that this morning and grant salvation. To those of you here this morning that have never been saved, 